Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps, the weekly podcast exploring the business of storytelling, where I interview many of the world's greatest marketers and storytellers to share their insights and ideas of how to put emotion into marketing. This week I had the pleasure of talking to Ryan Hanley. Ryan is a very passionate, straight-talking, rising star of the content world. He is a best-selling author of Content Warfare and also a successful host of a podcast by the same name. He's a phenomenal keynote speaker and he is a lot of fun. This week we talk about how to use the voice of your customer to get traction online how to marry your experiences with your content, and how to handle the haters. So, uh, Ryan Hanley, uh, thanks for joining me today. I've been really looking forward to uh, talking to you, so welcome. Brian, it's my pleasure to be here, man. Thanks so much for having me. No no problem at all. Um, Ryan, I first came across um, you when I saw your book, Content Warfare, um, when when did that come out? It was just a few months ago. Yeah, it released. So we're in July now. It released uh, in the middle of February. Um, but as we'll talk about, I have a I have a full time nine to five job. So uh, it wasn't like the classic onslaught release. It's kind of been a slow burn release, yeah. and um, you know it's been very successful, but just kind of maybe a little different than how it's done most of the times. Well, really, really interesting story. I sense this. We'll dig into that a little bit more. Um, but you, you also did this um, by crowd crowdfunding the uh, the book as well. Tell tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll give you a little bit. I'll back up even a little bit farther. Um, I had been writing the book for about two two years, um, and, and I was essentially blogging the book. I not like. I was just writing a post that I knew was going to be in the book, but I kind of knew the vein that I wanted to get into, and I was writing articles that I think would potentially fit in the context of the book and then gauging people's reactions. So I was using the blog as a way to see, like, what do people resonate with? What don't they resonate with? And, you know, you can kind of get a feel for that with shares and reactions and comments and stuff. Absolutely. um, So I had the book probably about 65% done, and... I just I was struggling with figuring out how to take it from the blog, which was doing very well, and I was very happy, um, to the actual book. I just for some reason that transition I was struggling with, and I was uh, I ended up uh, you know I was complaining to one of my buddies, Tom Morgus, and I just I was just like you know I, I got this thing and I can feel it, I can feel that it's there, and people are resonating with it, but I'm just struggling with that next step. And he hooked me up with a guy by the name of uh, actually his name is Guy Guy Vincent who is the founder of a platform called Publishizer, okay. which is a crowdfunding platform similar to Kickstarter, uh, but only for authors. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so very kind of cool, unique platform. He actually just got accepted into uh, 500, what is that, 500 startups, 500 something, uh, a really cool kind of startup incubator program in Silicon Valley. He was located in the Philippines when I worked with him. Um, so, so he walked me through. I spent like an hour and a half on the phone with him and you know, I just said, this is where I am and I'm struggling to get from A to B. And he's like, um, he, he kind of walked me through what Publishizer could do for me. And he said, this is what, how crowdfunding can help you. And I bought into it. I said, I'm going to commit myself to this. And we raised uh, $11,000 in 21 days. Wow. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you uh, about this a little bit later on, but I'm just going to jump straight in because um, 
I, I saw your book. I bought your book. I thought it was uh, absolutely fantastic. I then listened to your podcast, and you mentioned that you've been blogging for a while. But um, but Ryan, you also hold down full time job, don't you? You know, um, I think I think the audience would be really interested here. Just how yeah. the hell how the hell do you fit all this in? Yeah. So um so so we'll talk so let's talk a little about that. So my history. So so my primary niche in which I work with work within. Um, not the only niche, but this is my primary one is uh, or niche, however, however people say, um, is insurance industry. Uh-huh. So I was an insurance agent for almost nine years, so for for about eight years, and and everything from and kind of how I got started in in content marketing and digital marketing was that I was kind of sucking as an insurance agent. I just wasn't very good. I was walking the streets and making the phone calls and doing all the things that you're supposed to do, and it just. It just wasn't clicking for me, and I was miserable. Wow. And um, and I ended up, uh, you know, to kind of make a long story short, uh, I ended up hearing at a networking function two people that I wanted to connect with. They were talking to each other, a mortgage broker and a real estate agent, and one of them said to the other, uh, what, well, we'll just finish this conversation on LinkedIn. We'll just connect on LinkedIn. Okay. And I wasn't on LinkedIn at the time. This is like 2008, 2009. And it, there was like this light bulb moment for me that said, there are conversations happening in the digital world that I'm not a part of. I need to figure this out. So I immediately left. I didn't even introduce myself to them. I was like, I felt like I was like completely out of my league. And I just went back to the office and called my wife. I was like, I'm not coming home till late. And I just spent the next like four hours on LinkedIn. Wow. And uh, thankfully I didn't have kids at the time. That's why I got away with that. But um, so, so I just spent all this time on LinkedIn. And I was just like, I got to figure this thing out because something's happening here. And I immediately learned that um, it's the creators that win, right? It's the creators who win attention. It's the people who are out there uh, uh, putting their thoughts, their their value, their experience, their knowledge, their stories into the world and helping other people first that actually end up getting the attention back to them. So, okay. So that's kind of how I got started with all this. Um, I did that for nine years and I eventually decided that um, in my small little local insurance agency that I was working in, uh, which was a great opportunity. There just there was kind of a ceiling. Like there had reached a point where I wanted to go further with my work, and there just I couldn't do that at that place. So you started producing content in and around insurance, publishing yes. it, publishing it on LinkedIn, and making connections that way. Yes, I mean that's how I grew my book of business. Was uh, I just I basically this is what I said to myself. I, I I said if if I've been in this business for two years. And I'm still barely scratching the surface of what all these kind of complex insurance coverages mean. Mm-hmm. That how there's no way in heck that people who are actually buying this thing every day mm-hmm. know anything about it, right? Like, okay, so, so you started to marry um, what you had to do in work with um, online content marketing, and yes. is that how you still is that how you fit all this in? Because there's a massive overlap. Well, so what so what ended up happening is um, I basically took these ideas that I had and I started using them in the insurance agency, yeah. and they started working. Mm-hmm. And I and and people were calling me, the phone was ringing, and just for whatever it is inside of me, I said I have to start teaching people this. Like I want to share what's working for me with other people. So that's where RyanHanley.com came from, cool. which is my website, mm-hmm. and uh, why I started sharing thoughts there. And that I actually started to feel the pull of the teaching and the helping became more fun for me than doing the work in the insurance agency. Um, so I started my own company that lasted for 30 days and a company called trustedchoice.com, which is where I work today, called me and kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And now I'm the 
uh, vice president of marketing for a national uh, company that has 23,000 independent insurance agents as their clients. Wow. And um, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. So how I do it is I just kind of marry the two. Um, they kind of go hand in hand. My, my personal brand inside of trustedchoice.com is, is, is really connected to, to ryanhanley.com. So I, I use the two platforms together. Um, and I use them to kind of, I can talk about some stuff on ryanhanley.com that maybe isn't directly related to the insurance industry, but I can still share it into that industry and they can still find value in it and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. and that's how I end up making it work. And, and plus I just am a crazy person who is willing to work at 5 a.m. <laughs> and 10 p.m. and whatever. So Well, it really helps. But what I can hear loud and clear, and I'm sure everyone else can, is uh, you've got a clear passion for this, Ryan. And, you know, and is that is that what it takes these days? You need to have a passion for this stuff because it's not something that you do um, half baked, right? Yeah. So I, I'm in the camp of I hate find your passion, right? I, I hate that <laughs> because, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I think find your passion is an excuse. You are going to be passionate about the things that you are good at. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, to a certain extent, um, I have a, a, a skill in some way, shape, or form for telling stories and creating content online and, and kind of educating people. That's, that's really what I enjoy. And then as I've gotten better at that thing, I've enjoyed it more and more and more. So uh, I, I love baseball, right? I have a, I mean, if you were to come over to my house, I am an incredible, you know, baseball's always on the TV. I'm teaching my kids baseball. That's who I am. But I'm not, you know, if I were to find my passion, I would try to do something with baseball and you know, I'd be broke today. So, um, so I think what you have to do is find something that you like that also has the ability to make you money. And as you get, if you really dedicate yourself to getting good at that thing, like will become love and will become passion and, and you'll become passionate about that thing because you're doing it at a higher level. I think yeah. we're passionate about the things that we, we have the ability to do at a higher level and uh, that's the thing that you should find, not necessarily your quote-unquote passion because it's yeah. very possible you'll go broke. <laughs> that's really nicely put, Ryan. But I guess also your experience in success, which breeds um, interest and passion and excitement, doesn't it? You know, if you're really good at something. And one of the things I really, really um, like about um, your personal brand and how you describe uh, content warfare is this one sentence which really jumped out at me. And essentially what you say is you help businesses find their audience, tell the story, and win the battle for attention. And I think you've, you've managed to do something. Uh, you've very concisely summed up what it takes to win a content marketing. So, so first of all, well done for that. But Thank I'm going to go a step further though, Ryan, because, um, because you're in the in- insurance industry. I want you to help me dispel a myth here because we've worked with insurance agencies in, in, our, in our agency and I've spoken to lots of people in insurance and they've said, well, you know, content marketing, uh, it's difficult for us because insurance is, is dry or dull. Um, so it's very difficult to put content out there and, and create engagement. So I'm not even going to set the question up. I just want you to discuss that because obviously you can just bust that wide open. Yeah. Um, tell, so that's tell, an excuse. A yeah. Huge excuse. And, and this is so I did something. So for every one of your insurance industry clients who's listening to this, I'm going to give them the thing that they should be using you to help them do um, <laughs> that will make them money immediately. Uh, the very first content marketing campaign that I did 
uh, at the Murray Group, which was my uh, independent insurance agency that I was working at, was something called, and this is an awful title, but I'll tell you exactly what I did, the 100 insurance questions answered and 100 days video series. Okay, So I took and I said, uh, uh, hopefully your audience has seen the movie Pulp Fiction before. I'm sure they have, yeah. So in the movie Pulp Fiction, Uma Thurman's character snorts heroin. Bad idea. <laughs> John Travolta's character knows that if Uma Thurman dies, uh, that's the boss's wife. He's going to get it too. So he takes and... Uh, you know, finds an adrenaline needle some, somehow and <laughs> jams it into her heart and she comes bursting back to life. Well, that's what I wanted to do with our website. We had never done anything on our website before. <laughs> I've and got to say, you, Ryan, I really wondered how the hell are you going to bring that back to content marketing? <laughs> so like, if you had looked at our Google Analytics, um, you would see this flat line, right? So this is where the analogy works. So you see this flat line, 72 hits a week. People going to our Contact Us page, and our homepage, that was it. Why those two pages? They were people who already knew us who were looking for our contact information. Yeah. So if your website's primary purpose is solely to provide people who already know who you are with your address, then you're wasting money on a website and hosting and any other fees that go along with it because your website's purpose is to tell your story to people who don't know you so they may become enamored with your business and ultimately decide to work with you. The people that already know you can find you on white pages or whatever online directory is, you know, is used where you live. So, um, so I have 72 hits a week and I see this flat line and, and I, that to me was like, you know, not to be crude, but that's like the death line, right? Like that's like the line that happens when you're no longer with us. Absolutely. And what I wanted to do is have have uh, our website come bursting back to life. So uh, what I did was I took a month and I asked every single person that I could come in contact with, what's, if you could have just one question answered about insurance, what would it be? So just something that like you just, for whatever reason, you just say, what is that thing? What is this? What does this do? And I gathered 147 questions. I pared it down to 100 just for even number's sake and because some of them were kind of like off the wall and I wanted the questions to be fairly mainstream. And uh, I just started answering them every single day, two minutes or less in a YouTube video. So you said insurance is boring. Insurance is incredibly boring. Here's why this worked. There's two primary reasons why this works. So the the long and the short of it is in those 100 days, I ended up making $5,000 in net revenue. And uh, that was about three years ago. Uh, they're, they're just those hundred videos have produced close to six figures in revenue now. So long tail over time leads coming in. So it's been incredibly successful. Um, so there's two reasons that it worked. The first reason is, uh, that I used the exact words that my clients used when they asked me the question. So, um, for, for, for anyone listening in the U S, um, there's a coverage in the U S called, uh, uh, consumers call it full coverage. I want full coverage on my car. Mm-hmm. Full coverage doesn't exist. There is no such thing in any insurance documentation in the history of the world has there ever been something called full coverage. What, those, what consumers are referring to are these incredibly, you know, um, you know, ridiculously named things, comprehensive, other than collision and collision coverage, mm-hmm. right? But no one knows that. No one knows those words. Those are technical insurance jargon. Yep. What consumers use is full coverage. So when someone said, I'd like to know uh, when I should have full coverage, that was the question. I, the question that I answered is, when should I have full coverage? Because think about it this way from an SEO standpoint. When a consumer 
has that question, what do they type into Google? They don't type full coverage. They don't type in what is other than collision coverage. They type in exactly what's on their mind. When should I have full coverage? That's what they type in. So I would name my video the exact same thing. And obviously I would do all the other SEO things. Mm -hmm. So I was showing up in search. The second piece is if I had typed out these answers, no one would read them. No one would ever have read them because who wants to read really boring insurance content? But the fact that it was a video and now here's a human being and I would make little mistakes and ums and ahs and occasionally I would, you know, laugh at something I would do or, you know, make a little joke or a little quip or sometimes I would give them like a little inside baseball or my personal opinion on something and it really humanized this traditionally boring content and we got incredible engagement from it and it's those two reasons um, and and those two ways you can do that with any piece of insurance content that you can make this really boring topic work absolutely so phenomenal you know and i totally agree and i'm really i'm really glad you um you you told that story because it's just an excuse but you know what you've done there is you've put in much more effort than anybody else dared to do in insurance in the U.S. and answered all those questions, and you've you've spoke in the language of your audience, not the language of, of the industry, which is absolutely yes. fundamental key. So, so Ryan, um, not that not that I'm an expert on insurance um, <laughs> at all, but uh, just by sheer coincidence, I wrote a um, a blog post and I put it in LinkedIn uh, a couple of months ago now, but. Um, and it wasn't supposed to be insurance specific. It was more making a point. But what I said was, what if Red Bull released an insurance product tomorrow? Would they make a dent in the marketplace? And what I was challenging that marketplace with was Red Bull are very um, – they, they own the space of um, extreme sports, right? They literally – they own the space. They've invested heavily in that content and they've built an audience – They've got a huge community to the point where they have fans and a huge, huge following. Now, if they released an insurance product that was in line with the needs of um, their extreme sports fanatics, would they make a dent? And I put the argument out there, and you know whether it was I was just trying to be controversial or not. I said, I, I said they would because they have a brand and because they've produced all this content. I'd be really interested. What just. I'm throwing that out there at you, Ryan. What, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Do you agree? Um, you know, what's, what's your take? Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, I think that they would struggle, just like you said, to, uh, to reach any other market. But to reach that particular market, they would probably completely kill it. So if they aligned, and, and maybe someone from Red Bull is listening right now, um, and I'm, I'm, free for, uh, I'm free for consulting engagements just like Brian is. We'll tag team it. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Together we'll so, so, so for that market, so if they teamed with a, with a high-quality carrier that had a recognized brand and then they took that and brought it to the market with their brand and their message, um, they, would, they would take it over. I mean, who wouldn't buy it? If, it's, if, it's, if, you're, if something you need is endorsed by a company that you have grown over the last, say, three to five years when they've really taken on – I mean, Moto X is like trending on Twitter right now um, – you know, and, and Red Bull is the top of the thing, and, and this is completely by coincidence. I'm just sitting here as we're talking, and Twitter's open, and Moto X style is the, and it's a it's a phone, and then and then uh, because it's also a, a thing, Red Bull's in here, and I'm like, that's super coincidence. But um, they would they would absolutely dominate because what you have is a brand that people recognize and trust. 
saying, we've partnered with this recognized and trust brand to deliver you this product that we know meets your exact needs, um, which no one else can understand as well as we know because we're you, right? That's, that's what people – I think that's the thing that a lot of times these quote-unquote and, – and again, I, I'm talking about the insurance industry, but this really applies to, yeah. to basically any industry yeah. – um, to, to these, these quote-unquote boring industries, uh, they feel like – I think they feel like an outsider. It's not, that, it's not that the consumers feel that they're outsiders. It's that they themselves feel like outsiders or have a hard time putting themselves into the world that their consumers live in. Mm. Um, so I, I'm going to give you a quick story. This is, again, an insurance industry story, but I think it, I think it suits uh, I think it suits what we're talking about here about Red Bull specifically. So there is an independent insurance agency outside of San Francisco called Bay Risk Solutions, okay. and they have three owners, 17 people, two million dollars in revenue. Pretty standard uh, independent insurance agency in size, scope, style. Um, for you know, for the for that period of time, for a business that's been around for twenty or thirty years, um, and and if you walked by their office, generic, you wouldn't think anything different. Well, one of their uh, owners fell in love with uh, food trucks because on the west coast of the U.S., food trucks are gourmet. Where I am, you get sick if you eat out of a food truck, but um, in the west coast, they're gourmet. So he okay. so he he fell in love. With food trucks. Okay. Cool. So as insurance agents tend to do, he asked one of them for, uh, hey, can I, can I take a look at your policies? And which he did. And in calling around, he found out it's very hard to insure or, or there's not a lot of people that are insuring uh, food trucks and there's not a lot of insurance carriers willing to provide that coverage. <clears throat> so uh, he was determined though. He said, I, you know, if there's not a lot of people doing it and there's not a lot of people writing it, then that means that I have an opportunity to be the guy. And he realized very quickly why it was so difficult and why there weren't a lot of people engaged in the food truck insurance business. And that was because food truck operators are incredibly difficult to get a hold of. They don't answer the phone. They don't want you to walk up to their truck. Um, They don't do email because they're all day. They're prepping food and then selling food and then cleaning up food and then prepping food. And and this is all day, right? So so he – uh, you know, frustrated and struggling with this program that he had kind of set himself to, he said, I'm going to become, if I'm really going to become the guy, I have to become the guy. And he created a Twitter handle called insuremyfoodtruck.com. And he started tweeting at food truck operators because he realized in his light bulb moment that how food truck operators communicate is via Twitter. Because what they do is they say, I'm going to be on 9th and Broadway with salmon tacos okay. at 12 p.m. And if you want a salmon tacos, this is where you got to be, right? This is where my food truck's going to be parked. <laughs> that's how, that's yeah. how they communicated with their audience. Cool. So he dove in. He became, he, he became part of this community. He started talking their language, going to events, you know, retweeting, engaging, all the things that you do. And all of a sudden, he wasn't the, the insurance guy. He was part of the food truck community, and now he's the largest retail insurance agent who writes uh, – the largest writer of food trucks in a retail agency in the entire country. So he, 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 basically he owns everything. He's written every food truck west of the Mississippi, and he's starting to work his way over uh, to the East Coast. And it's because he came, became one of them, and that's why you're – that's why I firmly believe that your example with Red Bull would work. Wow, that's – that's a great story. Ryan, you're a great storyteller, I've got to say. But you, you talk about storytelling as 
Uh, and you, you mentioned the three C's. I've, I've been I've been doing my research, Ryan, and you talk about company, client, and community, and you obviously very elegantly sort of put that across. Um, but how how important now in this very competitive digital age is it to um, obviously fully commit to your community? But how important is it to find um, a very specific niche of a community or, or niche, as you guys say in, yeah. this, in the States? Is that, <laughs> is that just something we have to find now? Or is there, you know, can you still talk generally far and wide? Or you know, is, are those days gone? Uh, so I wrote a post maybe six months ago called Google Killed the Generalist and No One Cares. <laughs> um, and it was not – let me say this. It was both not well-received and kind of well-received. Most, most people who responded were hating on me pretty hard, really? which, which, is, which is fine, okay. um, which is completely fine. That can be a good it, thing, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And because and I think and my point in the article was um, when we go – when a consumer goes to Google, so whoever's listening to this, um, think about your own uh, consumer habits. When you're looking for a product or a service, what do you type into Google? There's a very good chance that at some point in your search, you'll type in the word B-E-S-T and then the thing that you need. Maybe you're not going to be completely convinced that those are the best, but you're going to type it in and check out and see who it is. And the reason being is that when we search, we're searching for the best. Now, at some point, we may have to do a, a cost-benefit analysis and maybe we don't have the very best, but we're saying, okay, we have the best for the amount of money we're willing to spend for this thing. Mm-hmm. But you're not looking for like the guy who's okay or the woman who has done it before once or twice. You're looking for the person who does that thing that you need because we have the internet today. It, what, it, what the internet has done is provide us with immense availability to service and product providers. So if you are positioning yourself as the jack of all trades, then, you know, and this is completely cliche, but it, you really are the expert of none. And in the perception, and maybe you are, but in the perception of the people who would ultimately do business with you, that's what they're saying. Because if you stack two businesses side by side and one's like, we do everything. And the other guy's like, we do this one thing incredibly well. Yes, some of the business may filter out to this guy that does everything. But for that one thing, the other one's going to win every single time. So when we're marketing our business online, what I say is we need to be uh, niche marketers, but we can be generalist businesses. That's okay. It's okay for you to provide multiple services. But when you're marketing your business online, you need to pick – the one to three things that you do incredibly well, that you do as good or better than anybody else, and those are the things that you market online. Then people can figure out that you do other things. See, that's, but it, that's you'll never stand thing. out if you try to be a generalist. Yeah, that's a brilliant point, actually, because there's lots of generalist businesses out there thinking, but I'm not a specialist um, business. I'm, I, I do lots of different things, and they're automatically counting out the idea that they can be a specialist marketer, and that's that's a really interesting point, Ryan. Brilliant. Um, oh, by the way, I got load of haters on my um, if Red Bull <laughs> if yeah. Red Bull moved in insurance, but um, I can't. I Here's can't. the thing with haters. That's it. so. Haters are an interesting topic. So, I, and I like talking about it because it's. I think it's. I think it. So, if you are not. So, so, here, so here's the thing with haters. Um, if you are not, I, I try to keep a 20% hate quotient, right? I, I try to keep 20% <laughs> of the people who read my stuff are disagreeing with me, 
Like um, I wrote a post recently. So 2014, I basically spent all my social media time on Google+. Nowhere else. I would, you know, I would check Twitter, or check Facebook, or whatever. But, but I was Google Plus all the time. You know, twenty, thirty posts a week. Very, very active. Jeez. And I grew a really nice community. And it was an incredible experience because I, I really figured I had the opportunity, basically, with Google Plus to come in before the curve, establish myself, and grow. And it, and it was fantastic. But I think uh, anyone uh, who's watching the internet at all is kind of aware that. Um, Perception has become reality, Absolutely. and Google Plus is is not taking off the way that it that everyone kind of perceived. And um, I had to step back from the platform because ultimately, what I realized, especially with this new job at TrustedChoice.com that I have, is my audience is not there anymore. Insurance agents aren't on Google Plus. I had to go where they are, which is uh, email, uh, blogs, and um, and Facebook. Right, those are the three places I have to spend my time because that's where my audience is. So I wrote a post called. Uh, how perception became reality and I had to break up with Google+. You want to talk about hate. Um, all the people who had like followed me for so long as like this Google+, Plus evangelist, all of a sudden were like, how could you turn your back on us? And blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, and, and they, they completely missed the point, right? So, so this is what you have to think about when you create content, when, when, so people that are listening. Um, oftentimes, hate is people putting their own perceptions on the world um, – or, or taking their own perceptions of the world and putting them on your content and the way they want to view it, right? Yeah. Everybody has their own glasses that they look through on what the world looks like. So when I created that article, what I said was, I love Google+. Plus. I still firmly believe that it's that the functionality, the usability, the interface, everything about it is far superior to any other social network that exists. And I believe that today. But – the perception of the platform has always been that it did not get wide-scale engagement, that it's nerds and, and photographers and techies, and that if you weren't in one of those three very specific niches, that you know there wasn't really anything for you there. And Google has done nothing to help expand that, and in, in many ways, uh, a lot of their decisions have just created more doubt, and people just don't have the time to take on another social network that they feel might be gone. Yep. And that's what's happened. And, um, and people didn't want to see that. All they read was the headline. So when, pe- when, when people are creating content, my advice to them about haters is that uh, understand that if people aren't hating on you a little bit, then there's a very good chance that no one cares about your content because well, yeah, I was they're, not, say, yeah, they're yeah. not giving it the time. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if you can get any reaction out of your audience, that's better than nothing. And a lot of people struggle to get any reaction at all. Um, yeah. I think it was Paul Newman said, show me a man with no enemies, I'll show you a man with no character. And I, I think he put it very well. But um, you know, Now, if it's the other way, if you're getting 80% haters and 20% people <laughs> like your content, then Different story. either you're like a shock jock or... Yeah. You know, something might be wrong. Different Maybe you need story. to take a look. Okay, that leads me nicely on to something I want to just uh, focus in on before we um, before we end the show is um, is emotion in marketing. I want to get your take on just how important it is to to get emotion in marketing in order to get the response that we're, we're looking for. You know, you take emotion out of marketing. Um, you've probably got Google Plus in terms of its uh, you know in terms of what you just described there. Um, we touched on storytelling. How do you approach making sure that your content is sufficiently emotive to, to get to resonate with your audience and get a response? That's a that's a really good question. Um, the first thing I would say about this is you you don't want to fake 
whatever emotion you're trying to portray. Yeah. So uh, if you have a very tight, buttoned-up business, um, which many insurance agencies are, many businesses are, accountants, law firms, sure. um, then you have a lot of retail organizations are, are not buttoned up at all, right? They're completely <laughs> off the wall. Yeah. And, and that's completely okay. Um, I would say that to a certain extent, you have to try to match the emotion of your content to the experience that people are going to get when they actually do business with you. So okay. you don't want to be zany online and a complete prude offline because people are going to be like, these two things don't match. Like, I feel like I was kind of, something's wrong here. Yeah. So, so that's one. But that doesn't mean that uh, even if you're very professional that you can't uh, create experiences for people which provide emotion to them while at the same time keeping that professional nature. I mean, you can, uh, you know, car companies try to do this a lot of times, right? Like, um, the, the, you know, all of them recently, I think, have started to go more towards humor because humor really resonates in the short amount of time that you have in advertising. But yeah. uh, for a long time, you know, like, like BMW, you know, the original driving machine, you know, they were, it was professional and it was a, it was a, a white guy with a dark hair, you know, you know, really clean cut driving this thing. And he would get out and he'd be in a three piece suit. And there, you know, that was what, so what they were trying to do is evoke that emotion of, I want that next level class in my life. I see myself as that person. So it very much fit what BMW was trying to do at that time. Now, they've come out with other models and, and added some, some different messaging in their stuff since. But that's a very professional, buttoned-up company for a long time. That That's how they evoked emotion was they said, we are going to make this look like if you sit in this car, you are – Don Draper, right? Like that's what we wanted. That's what they were trying to get out of yeah. uh, that messaging. So I think it, it, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. It takes a lot of practice. So for the people who aren't BMW, um, it takes a lot of practice. This is the quote unquote finding your voice thing. Yeah. And what I would say, my best advice would be take risks, test. So write a post that's, you know, use, you know, uses run on sentences or uses, you know, one word sentences or, or, uh, you know, exclamate, you know, capital letters and imagery and, and something very kind of emotive and see if that resonates. And if it doesn't, maybe dial it back a little bit, or if it does do more of that. And the only way you'll get there is by creating and creating and creating and creating. Hmm. We come back to, um, you know, you mentioned finding your voice. Come back to authenticity and really not just understanding your audience, but understanding yourself and, and, and your own your own business model. Um, you know, there's running themes right the way through here. Something I've asked everybody, Ryan, um, is uh, who who does this stuff better than us? And by us, I mean um, digital marketers. Because I mean, I've I've written about it in, in my book and, and in. Um, in your in your interviews, you've recently had David Nahill on, who, who's talked yes. about comedy. Yep. Um, you know, who, who's doing this better than us? You know, you take the stand-up comedian, and I've actually I've done a stand-up comedy course to try, not because I want to be a stand-up comedian because it didn't definitely didn't go that way, but in terms of getting um, confidence and also just to learn a little bit about what it takes. Yeah, stand-up comedians they are a hell of a professional communicator you know mm-hmm. they stand there on their own with a microphone and sometimes their audience can can be hostile with their arms folded saying come on then i've paid make me laugh that's a tough job right you know yeah. politicians get a tough gig sometimes and then when you look at the likes of um hollywood who um you know 
for more than 100 years have made money out of telling stories. Who, who does it better than us? Who else, who else does it better than us? Where do you get your inspiration? You, you might have named a lot of my – so recently uh, I have been so, – so I watch a lot of TED Talks okay. and I watch a lot of stand-up comedians. So speaking in front of an audience is by far my favorite thing to do in the whole world. Um, I was outside of maybe hanging with my family and stuff. Uh, I got to put that little caveat <laughs> yeah, in there in case my one. wife listens to this. Um, so I was an athlete growing up and I played – uh, football and baseball, baseball in college up until I was about 25, played a little semi-pro. And when that, when I stopped playing baseball, right, when I walked into my office and I had blood stains coming through the, my, my khaki pants and I had said it's time for me to quit, um, uh, I, I, I struggled with finding how do I ever recapture that adrenaline rush, that, that excitement of, of what you had from sports. And speaking is the only thing that I've been able to find in the professional world that does that. And I, I love it. So I'm constantly trying to get better, become a better communicator, tell stories uh, in, a, in a more engaging way. And uh, I really like watching TED Talks um, because I, I think that for as much as TED Talks are supposed to be the best talks that exist, especially if you watch TEDx, a lot of them are not that good. Um, the ones that make it to TED are usually yeah. the actual TED stage. Are, are, mean, yeah. yeah, those are those are rarely not, yeah. you know, cream of the crop. Um, but uh, the TEDx ones are really interesting because you get some off the wall stuff, and and that's not a bad thing. You get you know you're seeing people try to interject different elements into how they present in a way to resonate with the audience. So I watch a lot of that, and uh, and comedians. I, I'm with you on the comedians. I think. Uh, especially in the last six months, and then uh, was one of the reasons I had uh, David on, who's fantastic. I'm reading his book, uh, Do You Talk Funny, which is really good. Um, nice quick read. And another good guy to follow is Michael Port. He's okay. written a couple books on public speaking. He actually just did an interview on Mitch Joel's podcast, which uh, you know anyone who's interested in public speaking should listen to. The two of them are, are fantastic. So um, I think – I don't know if there's a genre. I think it's finding people who take communicating seriously and following them because there's all different, you know, politicians. But there's, I mean, I don't know about I don't know about you, but if any every every single person who works in the New York State Legislature is probably about the worst public speaker I've ever heard, (laughs) right? But you get on the national stage, some of them are incredible. It's tough because you know politics is a weird issue, but uh, comedians. Professional speakers um, of all different of all different versions. Um, performing artists are really interesting as well. Um, people who don't just speak, but they do different things on stage in addition to uh, kind of the the verbal uh, interaction with the audience. Uh, just people who take it seriously, yeah. and I think that goes with everything, right? It's Absolutely. there are a lot of people pretending or or that want to be, and not that that's okay. But um, it's separating the people who are continuing to strive from, for excellence, for something better, versus the people that are just showing up because they think it's fun. And, um, and that's really how you get better, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And do you find, um, since you've got into speaking live in front of an audience, do you find that's better informed your written or video content and your, your, your content marketing as a whole? You know, some people say that it does. I... I I don't, I don't know. I, I would love to say yes. I'm sure that it does in some way. I don't have a formal process for it. Um, but, I, I, but I would say I, – I, this is what I'll say. 
the work that I do everywhere off the stage 100% informs what I do on the stage. So it definitely works the other way. So podcasts that get a ton of act, you know, that I get a lot of emails or feedback from articles, uh, interviews. However, the things that I'm seeing people really get, get onto, um, in, in, in the other things that I do that a hundred percent informs what goes into the, the presentations. And then I let the audience dictate what stays. So, um, a, a very good speaker and good friend of mine, Marcus Sheridan, talks about uh, you should never have a presentation. You should have buckets of content that you can literally rearrange um, at any given time that that fit together. So if it take if you if say say five stories or five buckets make up an hour long presentation for you, you should have as a really good speaker twelve buckets. And then based on what's happening in the world, what the audience is, where you are, time of day, all the different things, you can mix and max, mix and match those buckets in and out of your presentation so that um, you're always delivering the audience with something uh, that feels very original and that um, is, is specifically designed for them. But at the same time, you're not testing on them for the very first time. So. Yeah, and he, he's a hell of a speaker as well. That's the sales line. I've, I've met Marcus yes. a couple of yeah, years yeah. ago at uh, a HubSpot conference. He's absolutely super. Yes, he is. Fantastic. Ryan, before we, um, we wrap up, I just want you to tell the audience exactly where they can find um, more about you um, and just, just tell us with absolute clarity your, your book and, and your podcast as well. So the best place to find me and the podcast is ryanhanley.com. Uh, that's basically uh, my content generation source and the best place to connect. Uh, if you would like to connect on social media, I'm ryanhanley underscore com, the worst Twitter handle ever. <laughs> um, but I can't get rid of it at this point. Uh, so that's what it is. Uh, and uh, the book, uh, go to Amazon, search Content Warfare, um, Kindle, paperback, hardcover, whatever you like. Um, I would get the paperback and not the hardcover because it's cheaper. But uh, either way, um, that's where you can find the book. And if anyone has any questions, uh, Ryan at RyanHanley.com. I'm always I'm open to email. Just shoot me an email and happy to answer any questions or whatever. Fantastic. And whilst you're subscribing to this very podcast, I'd also recommend subscribing to the Content Warfare Warfare podcast because I listen to that all the time. I think it's a fantastic um, podcast. Ryan, you've been a hell of a guest. I'll continue to listen to your show. Thanks for these insights, and hopefully I'll speak to you again in the near future. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Cool. Well, that's it for another week. We are out, but uh, join me again next week. Thanks, guys. So that's it for another week. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, please feel free to subscribe or even check out our Getting Goosebumps marketing book available in Amazon. If you have any specific questions, you can also tweet us using the hashtag AskPH. I'd be delighted to answer your questions. Until next week, goodbye.